Thank you, team, so much. And uh, what a blessing to be able to be a part of such a special day. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in First Peter, uh, the book of First Peter, the letter of First Peter. So uh, it's one of those you go to the very back of your Bible, Revelation. Uh, right before Revelation, there's a short little letter called Jude. And there's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then right there is 1st and 2nd Peter. And uh, we're going to be walking through, uh, continuing in our series, moving forward. And the heart and the hope of this, uh, this series, really just in the month of January here, is to, is to walk through as a church these, these actions, these behaviors that we must embrace uh, by God's grace and His Spirit, if we're, if we're going to move forward as a church, the great encouragement that we have as believers is that Christ has made clear in His Scripture that there is absolutely nothing that can stop the church. That there's nothing that can stop the church. Christ said to Peter there in Caesarea Philippi, said the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. And so there's this encouragement as a faith family that there's nothing, nothing that will stop the gathering of the body of Christ, the church. Um, but there are all kinds of things that can slow down a church, that can bog down a church. And so if we, one of the, the primary causes for, uh, for the bogging down or the slowing down is just, just like, just even uh, unpurposefully, we, we forget why we do what we do. And so as the church, that we would never forget why we're here, the glory of God, the mission of God. He's, he's laid that out in Scripture. That's why the church exists. That's why we've been bought and redeemed by His precious, sinless blood, is so that we would bring glory to Him and live on mission for Him. This is His, this is his plan, His plan A for the church. Plan A for reaching the world for Christ is the local church. It's a local church. And so, so for the past couple of weeks, been looking at a couple of those behaviors, actions that we want to rally around as the body of Christ to move us forward. We talked a couple of weeks ago about God help us to become a disciple-making church. That we can do a lot of things as a church, and we want to do a lot of things as a church, and we will do a lot of things as a church, but, but we must be a disciple-making church. Disciples who make disciples. This is what we must do. And so a practical application of that, a way to do that is this D group uh, movement that we're launching into. And so again, it's just that encouragement. Here's, here's a way, not saying it's the way, but it's a way of making disciples who make disciples. So again, I just encourage you, if you love Jesus and you want to learn more about what that could look like, please join us a little later today. It'd be a, a blessing to be a part of God help us to become a disciple-making church. Last week we talked about God help us become a praying church. And we are a praying church. This is what believers do. Communion with the Father is prayer. It's prayers we rest in Him. Prayer is that avenue of adoring Him, thanking Him. It is confession to Him. It is, it is interceding. And, and so we could talk about a lot of things about prayer. And there are many things we need to talk about prayer. But the encouragement um, for us as a, as a church is, yes, we must pray for a lot of things and we will pray for a lot of things, but the challenge is, is that we will always be intentionally praying for people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. And one of the practical applications of that is that the, the challenge was who's your one? And so whether you're the youngest heart and newly received Jesus, or you've been walking with Jesus for years and years, maybe decades, 
The encouragement is who specifically are you praying for that doesn't know Jesus to know Jesus? And uh, we have uh, some 30-day prayer guides, uh, the Who's Your One uh, prayer guide uh, that we have available. And so maybe if you weren't able to pick one up last week or you want to get an extra one, uh, we got plenty. So on any table you walk by, they're, they're sitting on a the table there. I encourage you to just walk through praying how to pray, how to pray for those who don't know Christ. That of all things that we can pray, let's pray for this. And then today we're going to be talking about becoming a loving church. And we are a loving church. And, and, and if you're like me, and I think we're all in the same boat, we're all unfinished. Right? We're all, in, we're all in a process. We're all on a journey. And God's design for our life, if you ever wonder, Romans 8, 28, 29, it's there. What's God's will for my life is that we are conformed to the image of His Son. And so that by his spirit, as we're surrounded, as we're surrendered and surrounded by his word, that he will continue to grow us more and more like him. And so that means that even in this area of loving, that we grow in this area of loving. Jesus said in his disciples in their last meal, the last meal that he had before the cross, he's gathered his disciples. He's in the upper room and he tells them, he says, he says, you're going to, they're going to know that you're mine because of the love that you have for one another. That that's going to be the defining mark. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Christ said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's that defining love. And so today we're going to be reminded of that, that challenge and that, that encouragement. But we're also going to see where maybe it expands into an area that we may not think about often. And specifically in the area of hospitality and specifically loving strangers, loving strangers. Today, we're going to be encouraged to love and love strangers through the Apostle Peter. Now, I want to take just a moment and kind of think about who's writing this letter. Who's writing this letter that we open to in first Peter It's the Apostle, the Apostle Peter, this brother who 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 gave up everything he had to follow Jesus. Like he had a, he had a, it was his daddy's fishing business. I mean, it was all set up. He was a part of it. I mean, no doubt, uh, a, a lucrative, stable, steady situation. And yet, yet Christ invited him to come and follow me. And he literally left and followed him. <laughs> Everything. Just what seems like a matter of hours, days. They're in Capernaum, which was Peter's hometown there. And, and Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and everybody's jaws are on the ground. And, and then from the synagogue, he walks to Peter's house. And there in Peter's house, his mother-in-law was sick. She was almost gone. And Jesus steps into that broken situation, brings healing to her body. And he has a front row seat. Not only that, the Bible says in Mark chapter 1 that the entire city showed up outside their house. <laughs> The, all the, the sick, the needy, the hurting, the diseased, the people who need a divine touch, they're all there and Christ ministered to that city. Peter had a front row seat to everything he was doing. He had a front row seat to the, these miracles and signs that we read about in Scripture. Like he saw Christ calm a raging sea. He saw Christ take a few loaves of bread and some fish and feed thousands he saw a dead man be raised to life. He saw Jairus' daughter be raised to life. Peter walked on water, people. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, think about that. I mean, anybody done that lately? It's like this was what this Peter, Peter, 
Peter was a part of so much, so incredible, that on that night of betrayal in the garden, Peter was the one that rose up and sliced off the high priest's servant's ear. That it was later, as it, the, time, the timeline played out, that he would deny Christ not one time, not two times, but three times. That Peter saw the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That he saw the resurrected Christ. Christ restores Peter on that sea. The Sea of Galilee restores him. Peter then goes on to lead the disciples, lead the church. He's preaching on Pentecost. Thousands of people are coming to Christ. And he is investing this letter into the church's life. And we have the opportunity to read it. Now, you, you probably may have seen this or maybe not, but this is uh, a little powerful tool right here, especially in the game of charades, okay? <laughs> I, I took this out of our charade box. We like playing charades. Uh, but this little thing has a lot of power right here because it's when this thing turns on its head and the sand starts dropping that you, you, are, you are on the clock, that there's a limited amount of time right here. And so during this limited amount of time, team one, is doing everything they can to get as many correct answers. And it's almost like even as the sand gets lower and lower and lower, it's almost like the urgency dials up a few notches. And so you're doing everything you can. Yes, 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 yes. In this game, all the while, you got an opposing team that's over here on the other side. And they're watching it just as closely. Recklessly eyeballing this little timepiece right here, just waiting until that last drop falls and it's almost there. And maybe even right now you're tempted to scream, stop right now, right when it went out. But, but that, that team's there just to scream, stop, 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 it's over. In other words, time's out. And I think it's important that as we read this letter, specifically where we're going to jump in, is this is a time in the life of the church where things are very uncertain. And time is of the essence. I mean, think about it. If we knew all we had was this right here, our lives may look different. And so the encouragement is the end is near, as Peter is going to help us understand. The second coming of Christ, he's going to return. And so our lives, what are our lives going to look like in this season and in this time? This letter came to the church at a very critical time because, because there was this Roman ruler named Nero. He was a wicked man. He was a wicked man. You may have heard some of the stories how he would literally use Christian bodies as human torches for his parties. I mean, he was a sick man. And, and it is believed that in this great fire of Rome that took place, historic event, that it was Nero who looked around and Rome wasn't up to his standards. And so what's he going to do? He's going to burn the whole thing down and build it in a way that he wants it to, to his standards, to his levels. And so there is this great fire of Rome. And you got the Romans who are there and they are helpless and they are hopeless. And they're beginning to look to Nero and Nero needs a scapegoat. Nero needs somebody to blame this on because he's not liking the negative attention. And so what does he do? He turns on believers. He blames the Christians. It's the Christians that have sought this fire, started this great fire. And so you see persecution intensely taking off all across the Roman Empire. You literally have believers who are waking up in their homes under Roman rule and they're wondering, is today going to be the day? 
That, that they, are, they are suffering, they're under great persecution, there's a lot of unknowns, which isn't that the worst, just when the, the unknown, you're like, the, the blanks are out there, and, and you're trying to fill them in, you just don't know what it's all going to look like, and yet this is the setting, and this is the scene that Peter writes this letter to the church, and here's the purpose, to strengthen the church, to strengthen you in your faith. That there may be circumstances outside of our control. We see perilous times here. We may perceive perilous times we're walking through. That whatever it is, these challenging times, Peter is speaking into the church a divinely authored, authorized letter to the church to strengthen and to encourage this church. And this is what this, this, this first generation church would open up their Bibles in the midst of all that's broken and falling and going on all around them, the persecution. And here is just a few words from that letter. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is, is at hand. This is not referring to the persecution that they were facing. And this was not in reference to the tyranny of Rome, although I'm thinking as believers they would have been very encouraged to hear that, that perhaps the persecution has ended and stopped. But this isn't about termination. This is about fulfillment. What Peter's talking about is the second coming of Christ is near. It's at hand. It speaks of fulfillment. The second coming of Jesus. Some of your Bibles, depending on your translation, it may say uh, the end is at hand. It's near. It's approaching. His return is imminent. It could happen at any moment if you read Letters in the New Testament, you see the authors divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. They'll make reference to this looking ahead, the second coming of Christ. He's going to come. In James chapter 5, verse 8, the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter, he says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near. And Hebrews 10, 25 is one of my, my most favorite verses in the Bible because it speaks to the importance and critical nature of gathering as the church it says this hebrews 10 25 not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near and so if the the second coming of christ was near for peter in the first century church it is very near for us the second coming of christ is near and what this does is this this encourages us as the church. It encourages us. The end is near. There's time. And God's plan A is the local church. To bring Him glory. To live on mission for Him. Share His love with a world that desperately needs it. And so, so, so this, this time motivates us. It encourages us. It actually spurs on our sharing our faith with other people who may not know Jesus. Because the end is is near his return is imminent and so these christians were living in this urgent time and they get this word and here we are living in an urgent time and here again this letter god uses to instruct his church and here's what he says the end is near and then he says therefore so because of that so in light of the second imminent coming of christ he says be self-controlled and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers be self-controlled, sober-minded. Speaks the essential nature of prayer. That this communion with the Father, that prayer is not an add-on. It's not something you throw at the end of a meal or before a meal. Like, prayer is communion with the Father. 
this communion with the Father, it's that avenue of adoration and thanksgiving and confession and, and interceding. But this prayer is essential to our lives. It was essential then, it's essential now. Prayer is a gift from God. And he says this, it's interesting, as you pray, I want you to approach it in self-control and sober mind. So to be of sound judgment is to be in one's right mind, to be self-controlled, to be under control, to not be overrun by emotion and passion. Because emotions are real, passions are real, but, but in prayer, let's be sound and sober-minded, self-controlled. That sober-minded there uh, speaks of maintaining control. So if, if, if to be drunk is to lose control, to be sober is to maintain control. And so it speaks of this being steady and clear. It's closely related to sound judgment. It speaks of being spiritually observant. That in light of the urgent times, that there's a spiritual observation that's taking place, that there's discernment, that there's a prayer of seeking even in the midst that God is working. And what is God working? How is God desiring to use you and use me? In Matthew 24, 42, Jesus said, stay awake, therefore, you do not know what day your Lord is coming. And so godly thinking and spiritual alertness are going to be important in the purpose of prayer. Oftentimes, if I'm encouraging someone or I just even think of my own life, I'll say something like this. I pray that the Holy Spirit's voice will be the loudest. Because here's what we know, is we know that we, are, we have no shortage of voices that are speaking into our lives, right? Whether that's friends, family, co-workers, boss, supervisors, um, TV, like, like wherever those voices are. But the question is this, somebody's voice is the loudest. Somebody's voice is louder than any other. And so there's this encouragement is that in, in, in this season, in this time that we're in as believers, is that the Holy Spirit's voice will be the loudest. And that is, and that we're tethered to the Word of God. And it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, applying His Word and His promises to our lives to cling to, to cling to that this is how we, we pray self-controlled and sober-minded, that the Holy Spirit's voice is the loudest in verse 8, Peter goes on to say, and above all, so of supreme importance, they're leaning in, I imagine. There's going to be someone who's reading this letter to the local church. They're all leaning in. He says, above all. When we say above all, that means this is way important. Supreme importance. He says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep loving one another earnestly. Loving one another. Love, that word there is agape. It is the highest form of love. It speaks of unconditional love. It's a, what I call an even though kind of love. And so, so all these things are happening. And so this love, love earnestly, this love, this love is, is the kind of love, the, the, the language there is of an athlete stretching and straining, stretching and straining, earnestly loving, even though loving no matter what. And that this love, keep loving one another earnestly, stretching and straining like an athlete, since love covers a multitude of sins. That love is powerful. Folks read this text and they say, okay, so is this referring to God's love and how God's love covers over our sin? I believe absolutely that application is absolutely there. God's grace and His care and His love cover us. I also think it's a word for the believers there in the church that they would read this. And this love covers a multitude of sins. Remember, it's an even though kind of love. It's an agape love. 
It's a no matter what you do, what you did, what you said, what happened. It is I love you even though. And so it is this picture of a believer's love that covers those sins and is able to love in a way that God has instructed his church to love. I think of a covering. I think of even like a bed. You know, you got comforters and covers. And what do they do? They, they cover the bed. I just think of God's love covers our sin, covers us in His grace. And yet, this is the same instruction as believers. Love earnestly. This agape, unconditional love covers over those who have maybe let us down, even hurt us, um, walking through brokenness. It's love. It's love, agape love, unconditional love. And then he says in verse 9, and this is interesting, and this is where I want to lean in a little bit this morning. But he says this in verse 9, show hospitality to one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now I think of hospitality and I think like Mississippi and sweet tea and cornbread. Like those are the things I think of come on in. Like that's what I think of the hospitality. I was talking to my kids last night. I was like, what do you think of when you hear this word? And they're like, somebody who's nice. Somebody who, 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 who welcomes. And, and, so, and so we have all these ideas of hospitality. But this word, if you pick it apart, the original language, it actually means to love strangers. To love strangers. Hospitality, the New Testament definition of hospitality means loving strangers. And so love and hospitality are closely connected. It's an outward focused kind of love. It's a love that moves outside of the norm and outside of the circle. That in this context, it would have been super important for the new church to hear this. Because if you think about it, loving strangers, what's happening in their world? Persecution. Suffering. There, were, there weren't holiday inns all over the place. There were few inns. And you have poor Christians. And many of them, some are, 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 are having to leave their cities, leave their homes. They're on, maybe on a run for their lives. They're, 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 they're traveling. They're sojourning. And so who are they going to stay with? And so this is the New Testament model of taking in strangers, loving strangers, because they need to be cared for and they need to be loved. They needed a home. And so God's design was for believers to be hospitable, to love uh, uh, strangers. And hospitality is so important to the eyes of God. So important. Hospitality is important to God. If, if you look over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, they, they lay out the qualifications. We, we read earlier the qualifications for a deacon. And then in 1 Timothy 3, there's also a list of qualifications for elders or overseers. And it's interesting that as you see these qualifications that are there, you see that they got to be above reproach, that that's a calling as an elder of an overseer, you've got to be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled. We just read that, right? In, in Peter's instruction on prayer, respectable, got to be able to teach. And right there in the middle of before able to teach, he's got to love strangers. You've got to be hospitable. And so this, this heart of God, is he's a hospitable God. His design for his people is to love strangers according to Mosaic law. Jews were, were called to show hospitality. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 21, the Bible says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or a stranger or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I want you to remember that. We're going to circle back around to that in just a moment. But basically what God's saying is, don't forget you were once a stranger too. Don't forget, you were once a sojourner as well. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28, 29, they're talking about three-year feast. And as those times come around every three years, bring out the tithe of your produce. And the same year, lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands that you do. So in other words, there is a blessing on you as you take in and love these sojourners and these strangers, and you give them their fill, and you will be blessed. God has a heart of hospitality. You see it all through Scripture. In the New Testament, Jesus is giving instruction. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35. Jesus' words saying this. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Listen to this. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. That this is the ministry of the church. Loving strangers, showing hospitality, looking outside the circle, leaning into darkness, leaning into brokenness, leading into people who are far from God. Even when disciples, he sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, he says, hey, don't pack any food and don't pack too much. Why? Because you're going to be staying with, uh, uh, you're going to find a house of peace out there and you're gonna, they're going to take care of you and you bless their home and this is how it's going to work. And he sends them out. <laughs> he sends them out. And talking about the kingdom in Luke 14, Jesus said to them, when you have a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because, you, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That this is his plan. Going out to highways and hedges, Loving strangers, showing hospitality, showing care, showing love. I, I, this, is, this is more than sweet tea and cornbread, right? This is, this, is, this is God forming our character. This is God showing us and strengthening us to live unselfish lives. I heard this one definition for a character, and that is you can see a test of true character is how do you treat people who can do absolutely nothing in return for you. That this is character. Christ is forming his character in us. And he's challenging this suffering, persecuted, don't know what's going to happen, running for your life church to above everything, love earnestly and show hospitality. And this is what he encourages his church to do. And so we're unfinished people. We're unfinished people. They were unfinished people. We're all unfinished people. God is working in our lives. And I believe Peter is teaching specifically on above all else, love each other and love your stranger. I believe two things. One is because he knows that it is going to be the love that covers a multitude of sins that is going to protect and guard and maintain the unity of a church. That he understands they need to know this. They need to get this. They need to 
memorize this, remember this, this is going to be that love, that agape love, that even though love that's going to protect the unity of the church, but it's going to be hospitality that's going to maintain their witness as a church in the community, in the neighborhood, to those who are far from God. Because it's specifically with how are they relating with those who aren't, who don't have a relationship with the Lord, who don't have a relationship with Christ. And so the challenge is, is, is good for us. The challenge is, is encouraging, is convicting. It, 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 this, is a, this, is a, this is a time where, where there's, there's, a, there's a, a time is of the essence. And so in this time of the essence, let's love, let's love, let's love. He's calling this church. And so as we see this text and we even walk it into our 2021 worlds, that we would be reminded that God uses, God uses a believer's hospitality to introduce strangers to his hospitality. This is what he does. He uses the hospitality of the church to point to his hospitality for a broken and desperate world who desperately needs him. Hospitality has such an impact. Hospitality communicates value. I want you to think about that. Think about, try to think about the last time where you went, to, you went somewhere where you didn't know anybody. Maybe it was a, I don't know, a place, a country, I don't know. But think about what it was like in that place where you're by yourself, you don't know anything and you don't know what's going on. And, and perhaps you don't even speak the language, I don't know. But you're there and let's say somebody comes to you and says the words, can I help you? <laughs> and it's like, oh, you're like, yes, I need help, I need help. Think about what does that do? Value. Think about the number of people that are all around us and they are lost in their looking. And that God would use hospitality to introduce them to Him. Hospitality communicates value. Hospitality replaces fear with ease. It does. It, 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 helps, it helps replace unknown with ease. I, I'm even thinking just the Lord allowing us to come and to serve I mean, I'm still blown away that, 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 that just like, you know, there's, there are obviously a lot of unknowns, new territory, all, like all that stuff. But just this hospitality and love and care, just the ease takes, it just takes so much of that ease off the unknown, making us feel at home. Um, really neat story, even this past Wednesday, um, is that, that we were, we have preschool children's studio, we have a meal, and then we have three adult Bible studies going on. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and a couple who had, who had not come here just came to visit, came to visit on Wednesday night. I believe it was brother Tony Caldwell who called him and introduced and and you know what we did right outside here? We just circled up chairs. <laughs> we just circled up chairs and we, and we just shared life. And it's that, it's, that, it's that sharing life. It's where hospitality is where strangers become friends. Strangers become family. I don't know, never known you before. Now we know each other. Let's pray together, share life. You see that hospitality replaces the fear of the unknown with ease. God uses it. And so as we desire God to grow us in this area, God help us to become a loving church that we know it begins with us. It begins with us. It begins with perhaps a smile. It begins with an engagement, some type of conversation. It begins with a, a, a helping. And I realize we got all kinds of personalities in the house, right? Like I've referenced the piano earlier. Like somebody can talk to that piano and just have like the greatest conversation ever, right? And then there's some people that are like, I can just sit on the wall 
and not talk to anybody, I'm completely okay with that. I'm totally good with that. And then we got people who are kind of in between, right? People who are in between. But the, but the encouragement is this, is that to be a hospitable people is that we engage with people. And it might, it might even be just a smile. It might be a hello. Man, what's your name? And, 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 and again, hospitality, what hospitality does is hospitality, hospitality doesn't just point the way, it shows the way. It's a step further. Uh, true story, I think this was two weeks ago. Um, gentleman who lives somewhere around our church was, could, can walk to church. And there was another person that was driving around in the car. And they stopped and they asked the guy, hey, I think there's a church somewhere around here. Can you, can you point me to the direction of the church? And you know what the guy did? He didn't say, like, yeah, it's right there. Or take a left here, take a right. He said, he said come with me, I'll show you. And he brought him to church and he sat with him in church and he introduced him to people at church. And, and this was this like hospitality moves us from pointing the way to showing the way. Hospitality is powerful. It communicates value. It replaces fear of the unknown with ease. And hospitality God uses in a radical and profound ways. And so just be encouraged is that uh, though in just a minute, I'm going to talk about hospitality team. I'm going to get there. But don't, don't think that, that okay, I, I need to be signed up and to, to be able to do that. No, like God uses you. He uses you. I'm convinced. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that some of the greatest ministry that will ever take place is the time leading up to the service, after the service, on the way to Sunday school, those opportunities to just kind of stop, catch up, share life, pray together. That those opportunities are essential. I know people that have returned to the church because somebody in the parking lot talked to them. You just never know what God uses. And so God help us to be a hospitable people, engaging, smiling, helping. But that we also do, we do have a hospitality team. We want this to be a welcome to strangers, a welcome home to strangers. To come in and we have an awesome team, Robbie and Megan, serve faithfully. If you come to the service and if you come through those front doors, odds are pretty good. You're going to see Megan and Robbie out there holding the doors as they come in. That's their heart. You serve people in the info desk, meal team. There's all these different avenues that people are serving. And so it might even be that you have that passion, that burden. And you're like, you know what? I, I, I would like to be a part of that. Like, Right after this, we have a little table sitting out there. It's just a little part to give us a little connection point for you. We would love to follow up and share with you more about what that might could look like about plugging into hospitality. But this, 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 this letter came in a very unique time. It came in a time where, where time is of the essence. And I just think it's interesting that Peter could have wrote about a lot of things. And he did write a lot of things. He covered a lot of ground in that letter. I wish we had time to dig in more to it because right after this he goes in to talk about using your gifts for the glory of God and, and we, we just want to see that. We want to see, we want to be a part of that. But, but I just think it's interesting that he says the end is near. The end of all things is near. And he says, so above all, love one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sin. And he says, show hospitality and do so without grumbling, he says. And so may we be a loving church. A love is sacrifice. It's agape. It's unconditional. It's an even though kind of love. Because here's the deal. Hospitality is a conduit or a channel for the gospel. It's a conduit 
and a channel for the gospel. God uses a believer's hospitality to introduce strangers to his hospitality because God help us, don't forget that we too, those apart from Christ, we too were once strangers. We too were once strangers. I love this word in Exodus twenty two twenty one. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So God help us to remember that time, to remember what it might have been like when we were alienated in our sin, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, we were alienated, we were isolated. That before a holy God, we could do nothing in our own strength and in our own power and in our own be good enoughness to be accepted in the beloved, to be accepted by a holy God. And so God's showed the ultimate hospitality and loving strangers that he has created for relationship, that he came and made a way where there was no way. That he lived a life we could never live on our own. A perfect sinless life. So that he could be crucified on a cross. To pay the price for our sin. A price that we deserve to pay. A price that we should have paid. A death that we should have died. But he took it for us. That's his love. That's his hospitality. And not only that. But he was placed in the tomb. And he resurrected from the dead on the third day. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be accepted in the beloved. You are not a stranger anymore. You are family. You have been adopted into the family of God. And so my encouragement and question is simply this. It's for the believers in the room. God help us. To be loving strangers, showing hospitality, shows value, eases the unknown. God uses it to show his hospitality. God help us to be a hospitable people, a loving people, loving strangers people. But then also the, the, the encouragement is this, is have you responded to the hospitality of God to you? To you, if you're listening online. Have you ever had that time and that place where you've received Christ as Lord of all? So I want us to just have a time of prayer and uh, just pray for the Lord to, to reveal in our hearts through His Holy Spirit just those next steps that He desires to take. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today. We thank You, Father, for Your grace and Your care and Your love. I thank you for your agape love. I thank you for your unconditional love. I thank you, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us kind of love. God, the love that covers a multitude of sins. God, the kind of love that is an even though kind of love. Father, thank you for that. And may we as your church, as we desire to live in obedience to your plan A, to reaching the world with the gospel, that we will be a loving people that we will be a hospitable people. And so, God, as you apply that to our hearts in an individual basis, perhaps it's just gaining the courage we're a little more quiet to simply begin some conversations, to talk, maybe not to just point the way, but to show the way. And, Father God, that we would be a loving people toward those who are outside so that you can make your hospitality known. To them. God, I pray for 
that person who may be here in the room or listening online today, God, I pray that they would be overwhelmed with the sense of your love and your care and your hospitality toward them. And I pray, God, that you would uh, work in their hearts in such a way, Father, that today would be the day where they turn from sin and self and they turn to you and receive you as Lord of all. God, work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of response. And as we do, uh, I want to encourage you to, to, we have pastors here that would love the opportunity to pray over you. Maybe it's pray at the altar, pray at your pew, whatever that might be. But also I would just encourage us to pray for anybody that we know specifically that doesn't know Jesus. And perhaps today would be the day of salvation. Let's pray to the Father.